as I said, we've got uh, Nick here from, uh, from Christchurch, so it's my privilege to welcome him up. I know he's got a great word. We're in movie May, so we've been talking through movies, uh, and I know Nick's got a, a very happy uh, movie to share with us <laughs> this morning. I'm excited. It's not a movie I've seen, so I'll let him introduce it. I won't steal his thunder. Thanks, Nick. Hello, nice to be back. I wonder if I could just ask you just for a moment just to stand wherever you are. Let me do two things before I let you sit down. One is, I'll, Pastor Dave, man, staying with you guys has been really awesome. Um, just in worship, I'm reminded of this really beautiful line in the New Hillsong album where it talks about God is faithful through every season um, and, and from seed to sequoia. For the dreams of yeah, he's faithful. And I just I just want to ask that in this season, Lord, that you'd release a whole other portion of the dream that's in his heart. Father, for what he's seen in his mind for years. I pray that this would be a year where he begins to see it in the natural. Father, through your provision, through your favor, through your timing, through your blessing, Lord, through your gathering, I pray, Lord, through your welcoming, Lord, through just the extension of the family. In Jesus' name, that this would be a year of new territory, of new possession, of new levels, Father, of new inheritance, Lord, of new power, Lord, of new dominion and overflow from heaven. In Jesus' name, we would ask, Father, for just to pour out, Lord, again, of the miracle-working faith that's been burning in his soul. I pray, Lord, that you'd fuel that to be able to see tangible evidence of people's lives being changed on a regular basis that he doesn't have to live off testimonies of the past, but you'd be able to release new level of dream in Jesus' name. We speak kingdom, anointing, and authority in this season. And everybody said, just where you are, um, I wonder if you just do me a favor and just maybe all like face in this direction and take the stance of being in a really gale force, like really strong winds. Some of you will be more, I guess, accustomed to this than others with your facials and with just so that you've got the, like, I mean, a really strong wind. A few years ago, I'm reminded of when I climbed a mountain with a few friends. It's the only time in my life where I literally thought we would fly away. Because I was on my hands and my knees still being lifted off the ground at some points right near the top. We had to turn around from the top of the mountain because... I don't weigh much at the best of times, but because like I thought I genuinely could go off the side here and this is just not smart. But if, if you're in the position, well, you'll already be feeling it in your legs. Who can feel it a little bit? Think, man, hurry up, Nick. Yeah, 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 yeah. So some of you do more exercise than I do. I'm in the bank, so this, this kicks me really quickly. But here's what I feel in my spirit and what I want to declare over this house. For some of you, you've been standing in a storm. You've been standing in a season of strong winds and it's starting to take its toll. You can feel it. And the thing about human nature is when you start to feel it in your body, very quickly it starts to overflow out of what you say, out of your mouth. It starts to show on your face and other people would look and think, man, I don't know if I want what's on their life. And here's the movement that I want you to do today. I just want you, when you're ready, actually, well, let's just all do it together. It's easier. Just turn and face this direction. 
And prophetically, here's a declaration. I want you to understand this morning, church, that what has for some people for so many years and for others more recently been a season of frustration and challenge and pushback, and it feels like there's been some opposition, God is going to take what was a headwind and turn it to a tailwind. In Jesus' name, for some of the areas that have been a struggle and a frustration, and it's just like you've tried hard, but things just haven't broken through. Jesus is turning things around, and rapidly you'll see that what was standing against you is now being used for you. What had been pushed against you is now going to propel you forward. See, we understand that no weapon formed against us shall prosper, but I want to suggest to you that God is in the business of then some where He can use a weapon that was used to take you out and use it to propel you forward. Not just get it out of the way, but actually use it to advance His purposes and plans on your life. And for some of you, I pray very rapidly that you understand what that looks like in your family space, at work, through the week, in your church space, just in life. I wonder if you just breathe in, breathe out. God, we thank you for your peace, for a tailwind, in Jesus' name. Let it be. Awesome. You guys can have a seat. Thank you. Really cool to be here. Give it up for the first day on the keys. All right. Hope it's okay to shorten your name to Rose, your boss. I sent a picture of your Nord Stage 3 to our worship pastor because we need one in Christchurch and you're making us look bad. Uh, man, we had a, uh, we've had a really good few weeks. Who's that equip her for the ladies? I had my first equip her in the parents' room uh, with a whole bunch of parents and Pastor Mayo got to hang out and swap war stories. She's four kids in, so like has a few more than, uh, than I do in the war story department, but it's nice to be here with Phoebe and our daughter Charlotte who, as of two weeks ago, got mobile, and my whole life just changed. But there's just something powerful about being in the room together, eh? Like, who's, like, even if, like, it was maybe your wife or, like, your friend, someone from church went, like, who recognized something shift for a woman here? It was awesome, mate. It was awesome. Man, who's made the decision, man, I want to be there again next year? I think it's really cool. We celebrated recently our 10th birthday in Christchurch, and a whole lot of um, uh, memories of stuff that I'm glad we've forgotten and, um, and also stuff that I'm glad we survived. And then other stuff that was like, man, I wonder what they're up to these days. It was just a cool uh, chance to hang out. Like, I was just reminded, Old Testament, like the Israelites were known internationally by the power of celebration. It was a grace on their life. They knew how to party. They would do it like festivals for weeks at a time. And I thought, man, we've got some leveling up to do. We just did one day. Uh, but there was enough cleanup and enough extra work for a day for me. Who's registered for Shout Conference? It's a phenomenal time. We're really believing in Christchurch for 150 people um, this year. I think we have 119, which makes us outside of Auckland, maybe number two or three in the country at the moment for people already pre-registered. It's never too late to make a good decision. And one of the best decisions that we had was just to put ourselves in an environment for me and my family and for our church family where we're reminded of what it looks like to be winning as a family because there's something powerful about being in the room. And if you haven't been, man, I invite you to come and party with us. It'll change your life. It's a phenomenal time. Today, um, who's enjoying Movie May? 
Yeah, all right. Yeah, it's a good time, eh? I wanted to, um, I wanted to play you The Perfect Storm. Well, clips of it, because from copyright reasons, I can only show you snippets at a time. And also for my technological ability for being able to edit clips. I've only got a few because that was the limit of my gift with a computer. Um, but yeah, today it's going to be good. Before we uh, play the clip, I just, I wonder if I can ask a, a vulnerable question. Who's in a storm in some area of their life? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate it. Times, sometimes it's frustrating because there's challenges uh, and there's just stuff that just happens. And I personally, I hate being in a space where I'm reminded again of how insignificant I am by myself and how much I can't control my life as much as I'd like to try to at times. But how many are grateful that we serve a God who's not only outside time, but in control? That it, like he's seen this in advance. He's planned it in advance. He's seen you go through this. He already knows what the rest of the book looks like that's been written about your life. I think that's phenomenal. My friend once told me that you're either in a storm You've just come out of one, or you're about to go into one. I know that's not the most like encouraging way to start a message. Eh? You're like, oh, that's really depressing. Um, but sometimes I think it's true. Because God uses those moments to challenge us, to test us, to grow us, to be able to reveal our character and our nature. And what's interesting to me is the storm is never his priority. And so this morning, I want to read you a couple of passages from Luke chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 14, where really the challenge is to go again. Because Jesus calls us to go again. And as we unpack this, probably what's a little bit more close to home and a little bit harder to deal with is he challenges how we see ourselves. And then the final part of this morning uh, is really just how Jesus changes our priorities. Because like I said, the priority for him is not the storm. It's never the storm. It's always to meet with his people. And, and I'd like to create a space where for a moment, you, you have permission to ask God, how do you see me? Because if somebody gets that, then it was worth a trip here to come and see you. So, just to set the scene, um, I wonder if we could play the trailer. In the fall of 1991, the Andrea Gale left Gloucester, Massachusetts and headed for the fishing grounds of the North Atlantic. Two weeks later, an event took place that had never occurred in recorded history.
Anybody been deep sea fishing? Timaru has got a few fishermen. Yeah. Oh. I mean, like, probably like me, so often it's real easy just to flick through the Bible and not to put yourself in the middle of the story. And so today I just want to give you permission with what we go through today to imagine yourself in the middle of the room in the context of when this was written. I think God gave you an imagination for a reason. And too often we're too scared to use it. Hmm. Um, also, just as a moment of honesty, to um, allow you to use your imagination, partly because I couldn't figure out how to download this particular scene to make it work for today. But um, early into the movie, it shows when they'd been out at sea for a few weeks and um, they'd been pretty much all throughout the day and night and day and night, uh, baiting up, putting the hooks out, leaving them for a little bit, a few hours later going back. And by the end of this trip, they caught pretty much nothing. And um, many of you know this uh, better than I do, but these, um, I guess, fishing industries are paid for what they catch. So when you catch nothing, then it's worth nothing. You ever felt like you've worked really hard for nothing? Nothing. You've got nothing to show for it. And so firstly, if you turn with me to Luke chapter 5, I want to tell you this morning that Jesus calls us to go again. Because there's breakthrough on the other side of endurance. Jesus calls us to go again. Luke chapter 5, it reads, One day Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Great crowds pressed on, on him and listened to the word of God. He noticed there were two empty boats on the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out in the water. I wonder where it is in your life that Jesus is asking you just to push out again to go again. So he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. And when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it's deeper. Let your nets down and catch some fish. You can imagine what it's like to be in his position after fishing all night. There's particular times of the day where the fish feed better. And then to turn around and go again from a dude who's not a fisherman, who's a carpenter, to be like, okay, go again. It must have taken a huge level of faith to be able to say, okay, yeah, I'm willing to do this for you. Put yourself in that position, though, where you're, like, you're out of your depth. You're in a position where you're vulnerable again to the storms and to the winds and to the gales. And Jesus says, go again. Go again. It's, it, what he's asking here is, do you trust me? Are you willing to go again, even if it's not the right circumstance? It might not be the right time of day. The conditions might not be perfect. You might have been there before and worked hard and caught nothing. Are you willing to go again, to go again? What if the Israelites had stopped on the first day they walked around Jericho? Or the third? Or maybe like the sixth lap after a week of walking around a city? What if they had waited and caused a whole other generation to walk around in the sandpit of the desert until somebody was willing to walk and go again? Jesus calls us to go again. Verse 5, it says, Master, Simon replies, we worked hard all last night, didn't catch a thing. And I love this, but if you say so, turn to somebody and say, if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. So a shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. 
And soon the boats were so filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James, John, and the sons of Zebedee were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. And I wonder what the response is. When's the last time you've been so amazed by what Jesus did in your life? A few years ago, I found myself at the back of what was known as the CBS Arena. It's now the Horncastle Arena in Christchurch. And after several weeks of working hard, working really hard, before work, after work, whenever I could fit it in, I'd run out during lunchtimes to talk to principals and deputy principals and try and escape past uh, the, the security guards on the reception desk, uh, just to get into, I guess, offices to be able to ask for permission to say, can we come to your school for the revolution tour? Uh, we do this thing, some of you will know, on bullying every year to, to stop the bull. Um, it's become the largest tour in the country, but for the first few years, I remember being two weeks out and having no schools booked. And I, like, I can't tell you the feeling of sick that was in my stomach because I only knew one thing about Reggie Dabbs at that time, and that was if he'd flown halfway around the world to an empty schedule, you're dead. Like, not like politely dead, like, that's game over. He's not coming back again. So I can remember just praying and pleading and fighting really hard to be able to get people in schools. And God's gracious. I always like the fact that he wants this city saved more than I do. And, um, and, I'm, and so I'm standing in the back of this night, and after we'd been through schools and schools, I can't really still describe for you the feeling of two and a half thousand people standing in an auditorium, um, in an arena that had just come to check it out. And 812 of them put their hand up and responded to Jesus that night. And so I'm, I'm at the back of this auditorium, just on my knees and humbled and totally overwhelmed by what God had just done. Because he wants to see this city saved more than I do. And I remember being in that moment because for me it was a tangible understanding of what Simon Peter experienced when he saw the miracle so big that there was nothing else that could have described that, excused that, permitted that. It wasn't through my work. It wasn't through the rest of the team. There was nobody else there that could get glory for that, even if we wanted to. It's like when the 300 took on a nation and God uses them to just make some noise and shout. And the enemy gets so scared by this racket of praise. He's intimidated by your praise. And so confused and disorientated, they started fighting each other. <laughs> And then God kills more with hailstones. So by the time they get there, the enemy's dead. They didn't have to do anything other than praise. When was the last time you praised through your problems? And like one of the girls who made a decision in one of those environments pretty early on, her name was Hammer. Her actual name is Hini Moana. And she's a beast. She started coming to youth at 11. You ever met one of those people that way before they should be in the room just found themselves in the room? Like, yeah, she, oh man, we'd have competitions of lots of physical challenges and she'd smash the boys. She's just such a great, awesome friend. Uh, and, I, and for years she hung out and did youth and there was this huge investment. And the last couple, uh, she really hasn't been in church and we just felt a little bit robbed. You're like, man, like, it's just such a waste on your life. Like you've got such a grace, such a gift, just come home. 
And so um, two weeks ago, Pastor Tico, we did, a, um, we did a baptism service, and Pastor Tico just felt, I need to bring another towel. So in the middle of the service, he's like, I just want you to know that if you want to get baptized tonight, that I brought another towel. I don't know who it's for, but just come around the back. We have one girl getting baptized, and she's awesome. Um, so she gets dunked. And then I go up to carry on, and I look around the corner, and Hammer's standing by the pool just behind the curtain. And it was just a moment where I'm reminded that even when we've given up and even when we've stopped having the faith to ask or even just forgotten and life's just got in the way to say, come on, God, bring him home, do it again. But just reminded again that it was worth it. That like every investment that we make for the kingdom is never wasted. And the roar when she got baptized in the room, man, just go again. I want to tell you that Jesus gives you permission to go again. Even when they're not in the room, even when they're not in your life, even when you've just kind of, life's got in the way and forgotten to ask, come on, God, would you shift that circumstance in my family? Come on, would you bless my boss? Would you just, come on, let's restore that relationship with my friend. Come on, I just need you in this season. I want you to understand this morning, church, that there's permission to go again because there's breakthrough on the other side of endurance. And that's the only requirement is just to hold on and go again. Second thing I want to tell you this morning is that Jesus challenges how we see ourselves. He challenges how we see ourselves. And when we see ourselves like he does, we can endure the storm. Simon's response is based out of fear. It's a default, and it's an honest moment of how he sees himself. Standing in a moment of God doing something miraculous and go, man, I'm not worthy. I can't stand to be in your presence while I'm so broken. God, you need to leave because I can't stay the same around you. And Jesus is like, that's the point. That's why I'm sticking here. That's why I'm close. And to be able to get permission to say, hey, come follow me. You're worthy to follow me. That's why they dropped everything. They dropped a ton of business revenue, they dropped a ton of fish guts, just left it for somebody else to clean up, and just walked straight away with Jesus. And moving on, turn with me, I wonder if you turn to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, we'll start from verse 22. Just to do justice to this passage, I really just want to help you set the scene. This is right in the middle of the three most public years of Jesus' ministry life here on earth. By this stage, things were nuts. They were pretty exhausted. They'd been going for several days, and everywhere they went, people heard about Jesus and went over to find him and just to be near him, and some crowds just wanted to see what was going on because that was the flavor of the week. Other people realized that he was the only answer to a problem that they'd been fighting for a long time, and if they could just get close to Jesus. Man, if I can just get close to Jesus, it'll be all right in the storm. And so people would come from all over and and do what they could to be in his presence. And their team were exhausted. They were just in need of a decent sleep, which I didn't understand that saying until I had a young toddler, not toddler, pre-toddler baby. Just how much the, like, exhaustion is relentless, it's reckless. It's, like, it's pretty full on. Every other time in my life when I've been tired, you get a good sleep a couple of days later and life's okay. But a few months in, and you learn to function on sustained exhaustion, and man, it's good. It's really good. So these guys are stuffed, right? They're absolutely naked, and they just want 
to rest. My dad has this saying, I might have told you before, it's just halt. It means halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Halt. In fact, more recently he told me he's upgraded this to harm. Hungry, angry, ready to murder. (laughs) Halt. It really was for them the perfect storm. On the back of this, Jesus gets the notice that his best friend's just had his head cut off. That's a bad day, eh? Like, you're already tired. You're already hungry. Your team are already grumbling. And then your best friend's head gets cut off. And he's devastated. Naturally, he's crushed. And we know that like, he's overwhelmed and, and that he genuinely loved his best friend because verse 13, not only is that a normal human response, but verse 13 tells us a little early on, it says, as soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to go to a remote area just to be alone. Man, we can all relate to that. But the crowds heard where he was going and followed on foot from many towns. It's interesting to me that even crowds of unsaved people were capable of hearing where Jesus was going. I wonder what would happen if we stopped ask God, stopped, stopped asking God, man, God, where are you going? Where should I go here? Come on, what's the plan for my life? And actually, and actually just say, come on, where are you moving now? Come on, instead of asking, come on, show me what your plan is for my life. No, 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 no. Where are you moving? I just want to be close to you. If I can stay close to you, I can endure the storm. And we know what happens next. They feed the 5,000 men and probably some 25, 30 odd thousand people by the time you include babies, grandmas, aunties, uh, and everybody else. Which was pretty crazy, but I love the fact that Jesus makes his team pick up a basket each when they're already tired just so they have a tangible evidence of the, of the breakthrough, of the provision, so that they all have a personal encounter with the miracle. And Jesus stops to be able to heal the sick and to be able to feed them because of compassion. I want to know when the last time was that you were moved by compassion. Because compassion is a response to how we see others, but it's also an overflow of understanding how Jesus sees us. And if we can see ourselves a little closer to how he made us and how he's designed us and how he loves us and how he's created us and the plan that he has for our life, it's, you, you'll know that your life is starting to change and that you've been close to Jesus by how you see other people, how you respond to other people. Matthew 14 from 22, it says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted his disciples get back in the boat and cross the other side of the lake because he knew that tired people make bad decisions. Hello? While he sent the people home, after sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Fair enough. Night falls. He was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples are in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. How many to know that night doesn't just fall? Like the sky doesn't just go black. We don't walk outside, apart from on my wedding day when it was like 30 degrees, and then we walk back out the aisle and then it starts raining out of nowhere. But even then, it wasn't pitch black. So his disciples have been gone a long time. They're already tired and exhausted, and then Jesus makes them haul around baskets of fish. Have you ever lifted fish? It's heavy, eh? Like super heavy. And, and bread, like, man, if it was unleavened bread, like that stuff is like bricks. Anyway, they, 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 they take these baskets around, 12 baskets, a basket each. They don't even get to share it between each other because God wants you to have a personal encounter with the miracle. And they're naked. And so they've been, they've been on their boat, like trying to get away. And then they get in the, exposed in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the storm. 
You imagine how tired you would be if you started that journey already exhausted and now you're in a storm and you're like, man, this is getting a little bit out of hand. And here you see that Jesus is quite okay with a storm. He's quite okay to leave his people in a storm. Because his priority and his focus is never the storm. In fact, he's super comfortable. He's way more than comfortable. If you read in another part, there's another encounter where Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat in the middle of the storm. Because you can only sleep through what you have dominion over. And God has given you authority and dominion over areas in your life. I, I, I just, I'm, I'm talking to someone this morning. I wonder where it is where you're losing sleep. Come on, what is it in your life that's getting in the way of your peace? At night, that thing that replays, that conversation, that event, that relationship. Come on, there's an area in your life, and if it's taking your ability to sleep through it, you've forgotten that you've already got dominion over it. He says, I've got all authority on heaven and on earth, and he's given it to us to access. And if you understand that we have that, then we can sleep through it. That's why he feeds you in the presence of his enemies. Because he's okay with that in the middle of a storm. Just before we watch this clip, I want you to watch just to remember here that a reasonable number of the disciples in the boat were experienced fishermen. In order to survive, if you were a fisherman in that day and time, it didn't matter what the weather was, you had to go out and fish. So they were used to positioning their boats in a storm. They were used to going out in rain, hail, or shine, any weather. If they wanted to eat, if they wanted their family to live, they had to go out in any season and in any storm to be able to catch fish to provide for their family. So here's a question I want you to ask yourself as you watch these two clips, how bad would the storm have had to be to terrify experienced fishermen? I say now you go full throttle, got it? I gotta get one chance at this. We pray.
That was some classic editing skills there. Oh, yeah. One thing I didn't tell you before was, um, so when these guys returned out to sea, they went further than they had before, I think, in the Atlantic Ocean. And I didn't realize it was based on a true story until I watched the trailer yesterday. Uh, but this actually happened. Um, and so they caught a huge amount of fish. The boat was loaded. And then these two storms collided, and they saw it, and they thought, oh, we'll just wait it out. Um, but the ice maker in the bottom of the boat broke. So here they are in the middle of nowhere with more fish on board than they've ever caught before. And they had to make this decision, do we just wait out this storm and let all the fish go rotten and come home with nothing? Or do we go for it and see if we can make bank and get home in time? And then it wasn't until they got caught in the middle of the storm where this freak event, the only time in recorded history it happened, was the third storm, I think, combined and caught them in the middle of it. It's interesting to me that, that what killed them was maintenance. So often in life, we just think, you know what? In my own personal world, I don't have to spend time with Jesus. I don't have to, I can just skip today, it'll be all right. I've got other stuff on. It's maintenance. It's, it's, it's putting yourself in an environment like this, where others can call the best out of you, where God can have a chance to just pause for a moment and remind you of who you are. It was maintenance. And in the mechanical servicing it's easy to overlook because you've got other things. I oh, mean, I want to get food on board. I've got to get priorities on board. I've got to make sure I've got my sleeping gear and a few changes of clothes. And we've got to make sure we've got bait because we're not catching fish without bait. There's all these things I've got to do. But it's real easy to skip the basic maintenance. And if you want to make it, you can't skip maintenance in any area of your life. So number three, Jesus changes our priorities. And his priority is never the storm. It's always to meet with us. He changes our priorities. If we read, carry on in Matthew 14, we're up to verse 25 now. It says, about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. Man, as if this day couldn't get any possibly worse. Like it's just, it's a bad day in the office when you're a few days tired and exhausted. And then before you row, you have to lift baskets of fish and carry it around 20,000 people. How many know that doesn't just happen quickly? That would have taken a long time to lug that stuff around. And then you get in the boat and Jesus says, go away before you say or do something dumb. And they say, okay, so they start rowing. Now they're in a storm. And in the middle of the storm, they're already terrified for their life. And then some dude starts walking on the water. Like, what the heck? That's a, that's a bad day. But Jesus speaks to them at once. And I love what he says He's, when they're exhausted. They're physically grieving and emotionally grieving, but also like lactic acid must have been killing them by this stage. He says, don't be afraid. Take courage, I am here. The same response that he said to Simon Peter, fear not, don't be afraid. Like what? Like if, if it was me, right? And you've got a bunch of, dudes freaking out for their life and then freaking out that it's a ghost the first thing i would have said would be like it's okay guys it's me it's jesus hello but he's like no no don't fear notice here that jesus immediate response in the storm is not to change the storm because he's quite comfortable with leaving you in the storm 
In fact, his priority is not the storm. It's never the storm. He just says, fear not, take courage. Don't be afraid, I'm here. And then verse 28 says, Peter calls to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. And now we've all got that one friend like Peter, the dude who's like stupid brave. I might have shared this before here, I'm not sure, but so many of the <laughs> young men decisions in my life came off the back of a saying that we threw around with our flat for a while, you won't do it. You won't do it. See an orange light. You won't do it. So many great decisions in my life have been made since I stopped listening to you. You won't do it. But there's something about being a late teenager, early 20s, where you won't do it is a great challenge to lay down. If you're a dude, peace of my soul still wants to do it now. And on the face of it, like it looks like Peter's priority has got nothing to do with his friends. It's all about himself. I'm willing to bail on my mates. I just want to get out. I just want to be safe. But what if Peter understood that being close to Jesus was the only true way to save your friends? And so Jesus says in verse 29, yeah, come. So he went over the other side of the boat and he walked on the water towards Jesus. And then he saw a strong wind and the waves and he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouts. And Jesus immediately reaches out and grabs him. I love that. Jesus' response is to immediately grab him. And in the first moment, again, if I was Jesus, I would have said, mate, it's okay, I've got you. You're going to be okay. But the first thing Jesus says, he rebukes him and he says, you've got so little faith. In Peter's moment of vulnerability, he says, why did you doubt me? When they climbed back in the boat, the wind stopped and the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed, as if it took them that long to figure that out. They've been with him this whole time. And it wasn't until that moment. They'd seen the miracles. But that was the moment where they realized that Jesus really was who he said he was. And I'm like, what the heck is this about? Like, they're in this perfect storm of an emotional tribulation. Their mates just died. Physical exhaustion. Just ready to give up. Like, is this really worth it? Have you ever been there? And if you look at it at face value, it's quite a savage rebuke from Jesus. And he's like, you've got such little faith. And I, think, I wonder how many times have we all said something that we regret when we respond out of that frustration. But what I love about this is, is if you take the time just to put yourself in the middle of it and understand what Jesus is really saying here, it wasn't, a frustration that Peter wasn't looking at Jesus for who Jesus was. Jesus was frustrated that Peter was looking at himself through his own eyes rather than through how Jesus saw him. Because when he focused on Jesus, he could walk on the water. But when his focus and his priorities was on the storm, he starts to get scared. Fear grabs a hold of him. And then he starts to sink. Peter sinks, not because of a lack of faith in who Jesus is, because Jesus was still on the water. He sinks because he has a lack of faith that he could be like Jesus. That Jesus could actually use him. Because it's easy to have faith for Jesus to do stuff, so long as it doesn't require me to do stuff. 
to be part of that plan. But it's, it's a lot harder to understand that Jesus wants to use us. I wonder if I could have the keys. That was my subtle transition. We had a sign. We worked on it. I was like, I'll just tell you when. That'll work out. Smooth. What if in the middle of whatever storm you're struggling with, you took a moment to ask Jesus one question? To imagine that here he is in front of you in the chaos of life, in the busyness where it's overwhelming and where there's disappointments and frustrations where you could just sit in front of him and say, Jesus, show me how you see me. I wonder what would change in your circumstance. I wonder what the overflow would be like and how you would weather and navigate the storm even if on the external the circumstances stayed the same. I wonder what would change on the inside if you took a moment just to ask him again and reconnect and say, show me how you see me. So many times in life we just don't pause for a moment just to say, God, would you speak to me? I'm listening. And I love the power of prayer. It's phenomenal. It's changed so many things in my life. But you got to understand that prayer is a two-way conversation. And often we only get halfway through the conversation. We don't give them a chance to talk back. You ever had a friend like that? You want to punch that friend? Would you just shut up? Here we are talking to the dude who knows everything, right? the answers and the plans he's already seen how this plays out and we're going help me help me help me and I, sometimes I wonder he's just asking will you let me or maybe like me like there's moments where something miraculous happens and something in your spirit goes man I'm just not worthy I can't stay the same around you you need to leave or something needs to change. And Jesus is like, I know which one of those I pick. Because he's calling us to go again. He's challenging how we see ourselves and he's changing our priorities when we give him that space. Just where you are, I wonder if you just close your eyes for a moment. If you're comfortable, just stretch your hand out like you're about to receive something. Because I believe for at least somebody here, you are. And in your own time, in your own way, just for a moment, I wonder if you just give him space to say, God, show me how you see me. And I don't want to tell you how he's going to speak to you, but for some of you, it might be a feeling. For some of you, you might see a picture. Or imagination might start to run. For others, it might be you get a word or maybe a verse. I don't want to tell you how God's going to speak to you, but I want to give you permission this morning just to hear from Him and to ask Him. Would you just ask Him, even if it's inside your head, God, show me how you see me.
God, in this moment, in this atmosphere. I pray you deposit something of heaven. Lord, let us not get too busy to remember the maintenance. This week, God, in our own space, in our own time, when we need it, would you speak to us again? Thank you that you've got dominion in the storms. But more importantly, God, I thank you that you just want to be close to us. Just with your eyes closed, I wonder if you're here and you're like, man, if I'm honest right now, my life is not with Jesus. It's not in a great place. It's not where it needs to be. And I already know that something has to change, but I'd be willing to give him a chance to change stuff in my life. So I'd like to follow Jesus and just see what it's like to face a storm with peace and dominion. Not be afraid. I'd be willing to give him a chance to shift some of my baggage, my past, my pain. Say, Nick, I just want to I want to make today the day that I decided to say yes to Jesus. If, if that's you, just so I know who I'm praying with, with every eye closed and head bowed, just would you wave at me for a moment so I know. I don't see any hands. Would you stand? I just pray and then I hand back over to Pastor Dave real quick. Lord, right now, what is of you, I pray that it would stick. Your word's not mine in Jesus' name. Lord, this week, as we venture into life again, regardless of where we are in the storm, I thank you that with you, we can take courage. We don't have to be afraid. You shift how we see ourselves and out of that overflow, there's compassion for other people. In Jesus' name, I pray you'd mark us with your truth, your love, your compassion, and your fearless courage.